0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. I am your host, Paul Fox, and joining me, as always, from somewhere in the Fragrant Harbor is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma.
1: Good evening, Paul. Good evening, everybody.
0: It is Wednesday, January 19th, and this is episode, what episode? 52. 52.
1: uh, 52,
0: our second episode into the 2011 year Um, how's things going so far, Kevin? We're almost at the end of January.
1: Yeah, um, going all right. Was a little under the weather this week, but, uh, feeling much better now. Uh, how about you, Paul? Did you get over your, uh, your illness from early in the year?
0: Yeah, I've still got a little bit of a cough, so if you're out there listening and you hear some hacking in the background, uh, that's me coughing up a lung, Uh, but hopefully I'll make it through okay. Um, what do we do here, Kevin? What do we talk about? We talk about movies. Yeah, that's right. This is the show where we talk about movies from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. Um, No real news this week to get into officially, but uh, there are some stories that we can talk about, so why don't we do that first? All right, so uh, Steve Jobs. Nothing to do with movies, really, unless you consider his affiliation with uh, Pixar, but Apparently he's a little bit ill.
1: I'm not sure how I mean, Steve Jobs is synonymous with the with the title Apple, with the company. So I'm sure his his health and uh, his involvement in the company very much has to do with how the company does uh, both in public relations and in terms of stock prices.
0: Yeah, um, I don't know. It's, I, I'm you know get well, Steve. I yeah, want my, get I, well. I want my iPad too. Um, <laughs> well, I don't
1: think him being being sick might affect the iPad 2, maybe only the iPhone 5. Yeah. Well, some people have been speculating. They said the
0: stocks took a hit when the announcement was made, and they're speculating it might be somewhat serious because in his letter, he doesn't give a return date, and I guess he did last year. Um, so, you know, hopefully all is well, because uh, we love Apple, and we want Steve to keep doing the things he's doing. All right, we had a little thing earlier this week called The Golden Globes. Um, I didn't watch it. I, as you may know, I'm not a big fan of award shows. I find them inanely boring. Uh, but, Kevin, I think you caught a little bit of it.
1: Yes, okay. I watched the rerun of the show uh, when I got home that night. Um, I watched it mainly for uh, Ricky Gervais. Um, his, his, I guess his um, F.U. to Hollywood, so to speak. Uh, very entertaining uh, He's he's really easy The best part of the show um, Most of the awards Are pretty predictable um, Social Network won The major awards Best director Best film um, As you know As I wanted to I guess um, Nellie Portman uh, Many men's goddess uh, Won best actress For uh, Black Swan uh, Showing her little baby bump As she was on her stage Um and Boardwalk Empire, the uh, show uh, produced by Martin Scorsese um, about Prohibition in uh, Atlantic City, uh, won Best TV Drama. Um, did you look at the results, Paul? I mean, any, any, anything that you wanna, you know, you wanna give any comment
0: about? Nah, I didn't really follow it too much. Uh, I was more interested in the whole uh, hubbub going on around Ricky Gervais and the, uh, the things that he was saying and everybody's speculating now why was he you know why did he disappear for i guess like 45 minutes or some some long period of time was he being uh dressed down and i I was just more interested in some of the comments that you know other other speakers were saying about him and about some of the some of the you know i guess somewhat harsh jokes and so harsh humor he was using (laughs) but what do you expect i mean he said he was going to do it and he did it i gotta give him kudos for that
1: yeah, and I don't think the whole conspiracy theory stands anyway because, I mean, most award hosts, they disappear for a lot of time in the second half of the show. Um, and he did come back again and again in the first half after all those, that really mean opening. I mean, as mean as it was, I mean, it was very much what people want to say, you know, why the tourists get, get nominated uh, for all those awards. Um, uh and he pretty much said, you know, yeah, he probably took bribes. Uh, of course, he probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't have done it on the show, but nevertheless, it was it was funny, and, and I laughed even though I, even though I knew it was coming, I laughed because it was funny.
0: Mm, yeah, I, well, you gotta kind of like Ricky Gervais. Um, if if you're not a fan of British humor or a fan of his particular style of humor, you probably would have found a lot of what he said uh, grating and possibly insulting. Um, you think he's going to get asked back next year?
1: Oh, no. I mean, he doesn't expect to get asked back. Um, I believe the exact quote was, uh, was, uh, I'll go effing mental. (laughs) Well, there you have it. All right.
0: Uh, One of the things we haven't talked about so far this year is uh, some of our thoughts on our favorites and not so much favorites from 2010. So we thought we'd take a little bit of time and go over our top three for East Screen and West Screen films. Now, these are not, this isn't an official list, per se. Um, both Kevin and I will be participating in the Love Hong Kong Film Awards a bit later in the year, and that's a much more sort of juried and official selection. Uh, these will just be sort of our personal favorites, I guess you might say. Um, so, Kevin, do you have a, let's, why don't we start off with East Screen? Um, what, what would you say your number three yeah, favorite was for East Screen last year?
1: Um, I have to say that I am. I did leave out Hong Kong Cinema in general because I am saving it for the uh, Lovely Shape Film Awards and also because I haven't compiled the list yet. But um, number three um, it's kind of interesting because I have to separate it uh, because I had trouble uh, pinning down three movies. So if you talk about, if you were looking for kind of a popcorn time at the cinema, I would pick Let the Bullets Fly at number three. Um... And if you want kind of a more art house, a more contemplative film, a more dramatic film, I suppose, a more artsy film, I would pick Korea's Poetry by Lee Chang-dong. Hmm. Ah, interesting, interesting.
0: Um, and so, yeah, Let the Bullets Fly is one of the movies we're going to talk about a little bit later, just released here in Hong Kong this past week, but it was an earlier release. It was a December release, was it not, in mainland China?
1: Yes, it was a December release in mainland China. Also, I managed to see it in December. So that's, that's pretty much why I qualified it for 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that simple, yeah. Right.
0: I think for East Screen, my, uh, my number three pick would go to Jackie Chan and the film Little Big Soldier, which I really, really enjoyed. And I was expecting it to be really bad. And I was really surprised. For me, it was a return to form. Or Jackie Chan. It was a small film, but I think it was it was very well crafted and it was Jackie doing what uh, Jackie does best, but at the same time he was sort of handing over um the the lead in some ways to Wang Li Hong, you know. He was sort of he's sort of taking on the old mentor roles. Um yeah, very very similar in some ways to uh, the films he started out doing,
1: um, like the early Drunken Masters and things. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, very entertaining film. Uh, I might inc- I'll probably include it in my uh, Hong Kong top 10 for sure. Definitely one of the more entertaining. but Definitely a pleasant surprise. Okay. How about your number two? My number two would be uh, the Chinese film Apart uh, Together uh, they by Wan Chun Nan um, This film did not get a general release in China But uh, it did play at um, major festivals uh, I think it opened Berlin uh, last year And also it played at the Hong Kong International Film Festival So I got to see this It's a story about um, a former nationalist soldier who, who spent most of his adult life in Taiwan And comes back to Shanghai as an old man um to see his uh former lover and decides to bring her back i mean they 're both uh they're now both uh senior citizens essentially, so the story is about this kind of love triangle between the woman 's current husband um her former lover and her um there are no no despite the the whole idea about the taiwan the taiwan china relationship there's no political undertone it 's just um a, a a romantic drama for senior citizens um it's surprisingly funny, and it's actually surprisingly entertaining as well. It's a really involving film. Um, and I think it's the best Chinese-language film, uh, non-Hong Kong Chinese-language film I've seen all year. All right.
0: Um, now, my number two and my number one, they kept switching around. Uh, and I, and I, I still, I think if you ask me an hour later, they'd probably switch again. Um, but in my current mind... As, as we record this, my number two is uh, Gallants, which, again, was another film that uh, I really didn't go into knowing what to expect. And I came out of just simply loving um, a lot of the style. And, you know, it's a film that's as much about film as it is a film in and of itself. And I tend to like films like that. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's definitely something that you must see, particularly if you have any affinity for Hong Kong cinema.
1: Yeah, I'm not a film that I, I loved as much as uh, I think you or Kozo, uh, but again, definitely one of the best Hong Kong films of the year um, and very old school, very fun, especially thanks to Teddy Robin. Uh, definitely, again, one of my top 10 of the year.
0: All right, so what would be your first choice for favorite East Screen films, non-Hong Kong?
1: Um, no surprise to readers of my blog. Uh, I've chosen uh, Nakashima Tetsu's Confessions uh, as my number one. East Green Film of the Year. It's um, very powerful MTV style filmmaking. Definitely the best thing that um, Nakashima has ever done um, compared to his bubble gum lollipop, uh, uh, really MTV style filmmaking from the past. It's a really powerful story. Really great acting and um, really great soundtrack. It, it's the I saw the film first time on the airplane, and it just even then it really stunned me. Um, and yeah, it's it's. It's just really one of the most powerful films of the year and, yeah, easily the best e screen film of the year. All right.
0: Um, for me, now and again, this, you know, catch me on a different day, and this might switch to number two, but currently uh, my number one favorite film from Hong Kong from last year. Um, I guess it could be Pan-Asian, but I'll consider from Hong Kong. Uh, is uh, Detective D and The Mystery of the Phantom Flame. Um, It's no surprise if you heard our show when we talked about this film earlier. Really loved it, felt it was a return to form for uh, both Soy Hark and Andy Lau, who had really disappointed me with Future X Cops
1: earlier in the year. Yeah, really good stuff. Uh, Trey Hark uh, really reminds us why he was one of the best filmmakers in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, Definitely a lot of fun, yeah. Um, so
0: any East Screen films that uh, you were disappointed in or you felt were just really atrocious?
1: I mean, it's got to be... There's definitely a few Hong Kong films in there, sad to say. Um, I think our list is going to be pretty similar. Um, you know, you got Future X-Cops, the Wang Jing sci-fi film. I can't say disappointing because my expectations were low, but it still turned out to be uh, very underwhelming. Uh, Here Comes Fortune... Um, that movie was just, it was dead from the beginning. I have no idea why James Dren and Arthur Wong attached a name to it. Just totally unengaging. Um, what else? Um, Bruce Lee My Brother, I was quite disappointed in. I mean, it looked really pretty, but it didn't, it did the, it kind of committed the cardinal sin. It didn't make Bruce Lee interesting. So that's really a disappointing, but I wouldn't say it's one of the worst films of the year, but I was very, very disappointed in that film. And your choice, Paul? Um, I, I'd say
0: the three that were down there at the bottom and a couple of those that you mentioned, um, I wrestled with, but the current bottom of the barrel, uh, as it stands right now for me would have been Frozen, um, uh, the film with, uh, the two, uh, uh, I can't remember their names. Uh, the two young actresses with the same first name, the Janice uh, and the Janice. Yeah. yeah. The Janices and Leon Lai. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. The the other one that really kind of took the wind out of my sails was The Jade and the Pearl. Um, the, the TVB film. And I think the bottom of the heap, at the very bottom, would have been Vampire Warriors. Um, <laughs> by our friend Mr. S.Y. Law.
1: How could I have forgotten that? I mean, Dennis Law could have made his own list. Just, yeah. He made three movies in 2010. And I, I'm sure
0: that Womb Ghosts probably belongs on there, but I haven't seen that one yet, so I can't qualify it. Maybe that will change. All right, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about your favorite uh, favorite West Screen films? Do you have any favorites from last year?
1: Oh, I mean, plenty of good West Screen films. Um, My top three. um, Should we start at number three and then yeah, Yeah, okay. Uh, My third best West Screen film would be The Social Network, the Facebook movie. Um, a lot of attention to awards season, so I wouldn't say much about it, but um, just really great writing, really great directing. Um, Jesse Eisenberg can act, who knew? Um, Yeah, just a really solid, solid drama that no one really expected to be good.
0: Yeah, I think um, my number three, some people probably say, what, are you crazy? Why is that your number three slot? Um, But there are two films that I just liked a little bit better. Um, for different reasons but my number three I'd have to give to Inception Um, it's a film that I'm still thinking about today um, and I keep thinking about it I'm sure I'm going to have multiple viewings of it in years to come Um, I'm not really quite ready to watch it just yet but I think within the next couple of months um, I'll pick up the blu-ray and watch it again
1: (laughs) well I'm not going to call you crazy Paul because Inception is my number two West Green of the uh, West Screen from the Year. Um, really smart, um, big budget, uh high story. I mean it's all everything you want is there. Um it's entertaining, it's fun, it's 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 engaging and it and both emotionally and intellectually I think. Uh, a lot of people say it lacks uh, emotional edge, but I disagree because I think the, the Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio and um Marion Cot- Cotillard Um romance that Line I think really provides an emotional um content to the story, and it's really is the best big pop, bo- big budget blockbuster of the year. That's what I wrote in the in the uh, my top ten blog posts uh, over there, and I and I stand by my statement.
0: Yeah, it was was a really good movie. I I got into an interesting uh, Twitter discussion, a very short one, but um, somebody had asked the question. I think it was uh, one of the guys I podcasters I follow, Scott Johnson. I'd asked the question if if it wasn't Leo in that main role, who would you who could you see uh, taking up his role? And some pretty interesting responses. I, I posted. I, I I think I could see Matt Damon pulling it off. Somebody had said uh, George Clooney, but I think he's too old mm-hmm. for the role. And it, just some really interesting discussion on you know who 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 do you think could replace Leo? Um, and has still carried the role. I think Leo did a great job, and as I said, I'm not a big fan of Leo films, typically, but I thought he was perfect. Uh, my number two, I've got to give to Scott Pilgrim. I know this is probably shocking for some people, because Scott Pilgrim did quite poorly, but uh, Scott Pilgrim was a film I really related to. Um, I just started playing this game. I got a game for the Wii Um while I was in the States, it's called No More Heroes and basically you play an assassin who's got this sword like a lightsaber and he goes around and he's trying to climb the ranks of the world's 10 best assassins. so He's going around having to kill them all. Um, and as you kill bad guys, they turn into coins and I'm sitting here playing this. I'm going, this is just like, you know, a lot of the visual imagery we had in Scott Pilgrim. I'm wondering if the you know, director was uh, influenced by this game at all. Uh, and I just really enjoyed the film. Uh, I've watched it a few times already. Uh, I'm I'm sure I'll watch it more. I know that some people really preferred uh, Kick-Ass when you sort of talk about comic book movies of last year. Um, I thought Kick-Ass was okay, but for some reason Scott Pilgrim really stuck with me, and I I just preferred
1: it a whole lot more. Kevin, how about your number one? Oh, uh, my number... Oh, yeah, my number one the uh the uh Argentinian film the secret in their eyes um this won the best foreign film at the Academy Awards last year, and uh, a lot of people were shocked because it beat uh the white ribbon and actually, if they watched the secret in their eyes, they wouldn't be shocked because it's a very much um traditional kind of police procedural um but it it works. Much much better than a typical you know police crime movie. Uh, it's not really who done it. It's really kind of a how to catch the criminal that they really know who it is. And it takes this uh, decades long story. It's it's really involving. Um, there's a romance in there that that again is is really touching. There's kind of a buddy buddy angle between the uh, the main character and his kind of sidekick. Um, it's all it's all really by the books, but it's really amazing how well it works even. Being by the books. Um, it's quite a powerful film. Uh, definitely very much recommend it if you haven't seen it.
0: All right. Um, so my number one favorite film from last year, uh, kind of an odd choice for me, um, even, even as I think on it, because I'm, I'm typically not a fan of these kinds of films, but I think it was the story and the way that the direction and the cinematography was handled that really... He keeps drawing me back to this film. And in particular, it was the performance by the main actor. And that is the film Up in the Air, starring George Clooney. Um, I just really love this film. I've seen it like half a dozen times in the course of the past year. Originally in the theater, I have watched it on a couple plane trips um, back and forth to the U.S., uh, seen it on video. And it's just, I really enjoy it. I enjoy the story, and I really relate to a lot of the travel experiences um, that are discussed in that film. And I think that's part of the reason I, I really liked it. All right, what about worst West Screen films? You got any dogs that you saw <laughs> last year?
1: Um, in no order, but since we already mentioned Jackie Chan in one list, might, might as well mention Jackie Chan in this list too. Uh, and that would be The Spy Next Door. Just, um, I felt bad for Jackie Chan. I know he was looking for a payday being this kid's movie, but it was just uh, dreadful to sit through, and I don't know why kids laugh laugh through this thing like they were having a good time. I mean, oh yeah, that's fine; they have a good time. But um, maybe I'm too old for it. But um, Jackie, just just stay in China. I don't care; if you don't come back to Hong Kong. Just don't go back to Hollywood, please. <laughs>
0: um, all right, yeah, I would say that. Uh, also, not really in particular order, but if I had to pick three worsts, this one would definitely be on the list, and that is the Other Guys starring. Will Ferrell and, uh, Mark Wahlberg. I'm a big, huge fan of Will Ferrell. And I was just so disappointed with this movie. It wasn't funny. Um, it, you know, it, it, wasn't even Will Ferrell being as good as he can be, um, in, in things like, um, uh, Talladega Nights or Ron Burgundy*. And it just, it was a weird matchup with him and Mark Wahlberg. I'm not sure what they, they, didn't really have any chemistry in the film. I didn't think their partnership worked. Um, there was a funny bit with Samuel L. Jackson and uh, another guy who were supposed to be like the top cops in, in the opening sequence, and that was okay. But, you know, once they sort of left the picture, it was just kind of all downhill.
1: Um, my number two worst, um, again, I guess No Order, but second film on my list would be, uh, Grown Ups, the Adam Sandler, um, comedy about, kind of like the big chill, but for, for, for like, I guess, man, man kids. Yeah, that was um, on a lot
0: of people's lists. I was listening to another, uh, I think it was the Movie Listers podcast and somebody had picked that. Uh, a couple of people had picked that as their worst of last year. Um, I think it was a, cl- it was close in my list. It, it didn't make it into the final one. That was pretty bad.
1: Really terrible film. It just, it just felt like they gave Adam Sandler, earned $80 million, and just took his buddies out to the woods and then spent two weeks filming a movie. It it, it felt really lazy. It wasn't that funny, and the jokes, you know, crude. Yeah, it was just not very good at all.
0: Uh, I think my number two would go to the wannabe western Jonah Hex. Um which I had high hopes for, and it was just really, really bad, and kind of felt bad for uh, uh, Josh Brolin, because he's given some really good performances recently, and I think you know he's in True Grit, and everybody's saying True, true Grit is really, really good. Um, but for Jonah Hex, it
1: was really, really bad. Yeah. All right, my uh, I guess my third film on this list would be uh, Vampire Sucks because it totally lives up to its title. Um, this this uh, parody film, I guess, uh, on the Twilight franchise, um, really stupid humor. There is some some jokes were on the mark, I have to say. Um, some certain pokes at the, at the Twilight franchise were on the mark, but most of the jokes were duds. I mean, what would you expect from the guys who did? Um, disaster movie and 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 date movie. Just, just a whole chain of really bad parody movies. Just feel really lazy. Feel like they would just make fun of whatever they could find. And yeah, just the worst kind of uh, parody film imaginable. I mean, Leslie Newsom will be rolling in his grave, sadly, if, they, if you watch this film.
0: Mm. And so, my worst of the worst for last year um, goes to another film that I had high hopes for, and a director who I've pretty much given up on at this point, and that is The Last Airbender by... Ah, why didn't I Shaman. not put
1: that movie in this list? Yes,
0: um, which was a film that was so bad that I actually contemplated getting up and leaving the theater um, at certain points. Um, yeah, uh, I, like we said when we talked about this film, I don't know if they're planning to do any more, but if they are, I hope that uh, they get a new writer. At the very least, possibly a new director. Um, so yeah, there's some pretty interesting, interesting choices for our favorites and not
1: so favorites.
0: Yeah, um, I'm
1: officially bumping uh, Jackie Chan off the worst list. Uh, good, you got the reprieve, Jackie. Mister <laughs> Shyamalan, you're on my, you're on my, my S list. Yeah. Yes. And that's just how quickly
0: they can change. It's the magic of podcasting. We can do that here. Mm. All right. Um, I think before we get into our our films for this week, our East screen films, um, I think I'll we'll just make a brief mention here. We're going to start something new for 2011, a little bit of a classification system, just to give a little bit of clarity on on the films that we talk about. Um, now, as Kevin and I discussed this, I'm not a big fan of, of points or of stars or ratings or anything, uh, but I think it could be useful to let people know exactly what we think about films and what you know, what format they should be accessed in. So we've come up with a very simple sort of uh, three-level category, and that is basically see it, uh, meaning see it in the cinema, you know, if you can get access to it. Uh, TV it, meaning you can just wait for video, it's not really worth your cinema dollars. So, get it on cable or wait till it comes on free TV. Do they even show movies on free TV anymore? Um, And the final. What's that? TVB still has some movies once in a while. Um, The final category would be to flee it, and that is to avoid it like the plague and get as far away from it as you can. And at the very least, do not spend any of your hard earned dollars on it. Um, (coughs) So, we'll see how that works. If you like it, let us know. If not, let us know also. We can always change it.
1: East train. West train. Oh.
0: All right, it's time to talk about our East Screen films for this week. Uh, so, this week we've got two films to talk about. Technically, these are still films from the 2010 pool. Um, But they've both had 2011 releases here in Hong Kong, uh, fairly recent releases. The first one up is The Road Less Traveled. Um, So this is the latest film from Derek Chu, um, starring Louis Koo, uh, Karen Mock, and mainland actress Huang Yi. Now, Kevin, do you know much about her? uh, This is her first role, or have we seen her before?
1: Uh, I I remember Huan Yi being in uh, actually Derek Chu's last film, uh, Brothers, as the I think as the only female main actress uh, in that film. She was a relatively new actress then, and I don't remember seeing her much after that either. Yeah,
0: well, she's got a pretty substantial role here, and I think she did a pretty good job. So this story is basically the story of Louis Koo, who's a, um, a truck driver. He trucks, you know, he he drives trucks between Hong Kong. And into China, um, he has a uh, girlfriend. Is, it, is is it? It's not his wife, right? It's his girlfriend. Like they, they, a fiance, yeah, fiance. Uh, Susan, who's played by Karen Mock, who's a real estate agent in Hong Kong, very high pressure job. Who and she also has uh, very much Hong Kong sensibilities, we would say, in the way she's portrayed. And then Huang Yi is a young woman, pregnant, uh, wife of a restaurant owner, a small um, uh, Hunan-style restaurant owner in mainland China. And the film, the premise of the film, and it's not really revealing too much in terms of spoilers, if you watch the trailer, is that there's an accident. Um, Louis Ku uh, strikes the husband and kills him, and then he has to deal with sort of the aftermath of the accident. Um and his, his emotions and um, the emotions of the wife um, are brought into the picture, and then he has encounters with uh, Huang Yi's character, who's named Yan, and he feels a deep sense of responsibility, and that sense of responsibility drives him to continue to encounter the character, even though she's not aware of who he actually is that he's the man who who ended up killing her husband um so knowing that no no I knew exactly what I was what this movie was about it was about an accident somebody died it's very clear in the trailer depressing from the get-go the film does never really lighten up at all i mean it's given the subject matter you wouldn't expect it to um but it's just one of those films that you know is sort of going to be this very dramatic, arduous deal. I tend to not like those films quite as much. Um, but I have to say, very good performances by the cast. I think Louis Koo did a really good job um, in the role. Um, I think he's proven that he can be a serious actor. He's not simply just, you know, leading man, even though he sort of is the main leading man right now. Um, he's he doesn't He can play roles beyond the simple handsome guy playboy type of role that he sort of was known for in earlier films. This had a really believable first half. Um, the emotions these characters were portraying, the the way things started to unfold, I think worked out really well. Second half, not so much. Um, as Louis Koo is trying to work through his feelings, um, as he tries to meet with um, Huang Yi's character more and more, trying to figure out, you know, what can he do to help her and sort of resolve his own issues of guilt, it becomes a bit of a creepy stalker kind of a feel. And I'm not really sure if that's what the film was trying to, to go for in, in terms of portraying, but that's the sensibility that I got out of it. And I was like, eh, this is kind of weird. I think that they really needed to focus a lot more on uh, Lewis's character dealing with the grief Um, and instead, but instead they kind of move and and they bring in this romance angle and it becomes a little bit of a love triangle almost. I mean, not exactly, but almost. And that just seemed to be very, very unrealistic for me. Um, I think that if they would have kept the focus on him doing things to work through his grief and not really sort of, you know, kind of having this romance angle, Instead, I think it would have worked a lot better. What do you
1: think, Kevin? Um, I think I might have a little more interest. I guess positive take on it than you. Uh, for once, I guess. Um, I think the premise is quite interesting. Just looking at the working class, um, it's in a way it's a thematic follow-up to Lost in Time. Uh, Lost in Time is also about kind of working class people and and um, and. Uh, Working class professions, I guess. In this case, it would be the cross border truck drivers. Uh, very rarely explored, um, and I think it's a very interesting um, way of. as ta- a very interesting story in that it kind of connects a Hong Kong story and a mainland story together. Uh, unlike your typical Hong Kong China co-productions, where um, Hong Kong films have to kind of cater to a mainland audience to. You know, to get into the mainland or to appeal to the audience or a mainland story having to find appeal to a Hong Kong audience. It kind of connects the two together and for me that's really interesting. Um, it also deals directly be- uh, with the friction kind of between uh, Hong Kongers, uh, in this case the cross-border truck drivers and, and and the mainlanders near the border who come into contact with Hong Kongers all the time. Um, just for those it's, it's, I already give it uh, quite a lot of credit And also, you know, the first half, like you said It's fine um, It sets up the story real well, uh, Fairly um, competent way uh, I wouldn't say entertaining But it is uh, somewhat engaging um, Louis Cool is great um, Especially after Playing kind of uh, Two ends of a spectrum, either really wooden Kind of the way he did an accident Or the really kind of slapstick comedy stuff uh, With uh, things like Oswald ends well um, and then uh, the Wanjing movies, things like that. Uh, so he kind of hits it in the middle here with a nice dramatic performance, uh, even though the second half, when it gets into the middle dramatic stuff, he doesn't do as well. Uh, Karen Mock is really good, uh, despite the kind of um, materialistic, uh, almost unlikable Hong Konger uh, she's playing. Uh, I think she has a screen presence that makes her quite likable. Um, so it helps... It helps get some sympathy for her character.
0: Um Really? I I didn't I didn't feel sympathy for her at all because they made her into this very materialistic, you know, workaholic kind of I, I it 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 really seemed like they were intentionally making Huang Yi's character a lot more sympathetic, a lot more feminine. Um, a lot more, I, I don't want to say attractive in the physical sense, but in a character sense. They were really, I got the sense that they were really kind of manipulating things. Um, mm. And that because, you know, you had all these character traits of 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 Karen Mock and, uh, you know, her, her, the spending of the money and, and, and all this, and the fact that she didn't like any of the things that Louis Koo was interested in, you know the the nature and the gardening and then you just get the sense of why would these people be together at all yeah. um you know first yeah. first for, for this long period of time before coming to this conclusion that uh, maybe they're having a problem right um mm-hmm. it just felt a little bit man, a bit too manipulative for me
1: well i i agree that the the Lewis cook character might have been too nice i mean i remember kind of a conversation um between the characters that ended the film about how Louis Koo's character was still with her to, for the sake of responsibility, you know, because they've been together for eight years, and uh, he feels responsible to 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 uh, to keep being with her. Um, and also, you know, uh, there's a point where the Karamok character brings up a good point: is that uh, okay? So, so you feel sympathetic for the Huan Yi character. I feel sim. I I feel sympathy for you. Then who's gonna feel sympathy for me? You know, it's kind of a selfish thing to say, but I think I can buy her as a Hong Konger. It's not really an exaggerated portrayal of, I guess, a Hong Konger. and that way I can believe it. There are people like that. At the same time, you kind of, I kind of understand her character. You know, at least it's a convincing character. It is not kind of an exaggerated portrayal of a of a materialistic Hong Connor. Um I don't know if they really went out of their way to made to make the the mainland character. Um, especially attractive for the Louis Kou character. Um but I can kinda of buy I can kinda of buy uh, uh um the Louis Koo character's I like, guess conflict, you know, choosing responsibility with this girlfriend he's had for eight years and this this, I guess, this woman who has, who matches, who has um, what he wants in life, you know, the rural, whatever. It's not really a, a Hong Kong mainland difference per se, what, what Louis, the Louis character is looking for. He, it's more like an urban, rural yeah, uh, yeah. thing, and, you know, I know, I can see why some people might think, oh, it's the mainland, blah, blah, uh, elevating the mainland in status and then, and then kind of stepping on a Hong Kong urban materialism. Um, but Surprisingly, me who who would read these things really easily, um, actually didn't see it like that. I I was okay. I thought Karen okay
0: and they did have, I mean, the they did have the brother, uh, Huang Yeah, Gu's, yeah. and Yi's character yeah, the has brother. a brother who's a mainlander, and he's kind of a jerk. Um, so it was I. I didn't get the sense that they were. It was an us versus them. But I do agree that it was sort of this urban, rural. You know. Um, comparison that, you know, was definitely something that was very apparent in Louis Koo's character, um, mm-hmm. that he had this affinity for the rural more than the urban.
1: Yeah, uh, but back to Mary, uh, the Karen Mock character, I think if you had a, an actress that wasn't as likable as Karen Mock, I think it would have easily been, it would easily make the, the distinctions between um, the Huan Yeh character and the Karen Mock character um, even clearer. But, I think it's just because Karen Marcus is, is a, a fairly likable actress. I think, and 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 she has such kind of like a natural likability when you when 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 she's playing, I guess within a comfort zone or, or a certain zone. Uh, it just kind of makes her character, you know, not as bad as it would be written on paper. Um, and I kind of I was kind of fine with her character it wasn't as bad as I know they do certain things to make her seem bad, but they also input these little moments that make her seem almost sympathetic at points. Even the little smoking scene outside the, the with the with the uh contrived best friend. Um that kinda added a little more to her to her made a more layer to her character. I think it made her a little more understandable. Um but the palm is of the film is really in the second half. I think like you said, when they were trying to put in the romance, um it felt like they got to where they needed to go and wanted to go further or, or needed to you know, make the film feel complete and they had to put in this romance to complete the story, but it didn't really work. Um, and also, it, it, disappointing when you consider Derek Yee has, did Lost in Time. Um, it's a somewhat similar film, also about grief and, and, and uh, working class, but Lost in Time was so much more interesting. when it was portraying the the profession, when it was portraying the minibus drivers. uh, It felt like it kind of lacked the details uh, here about the cross-border drivers, and that was a little disappointing. Um, But I think for its intentions, for the competent first half, it's really only disappointing when you consider the people who are involved. I mean, Derek Gee and Henry Fong, they did more than just producing. They were also uh, credited as associate scriptwriters, as in they were credited as working... Bits tidbits on the script, I guess, and also you have Derek Chu who who does you know fairly good human dramas. Um, I I like this better than Brothers, where he was trying to do a big gangster action film. Uh, so you know it's okay film. I wouldn't say it's a it's a bad film. Um, I think in in the new rating wise, I would say TV it. Yeah,
0: I I would agree. I would say worth seeing on video. I w- I think I would have preferred it on video, especially where I could like pause it and let some of the you know the more overly dramatic moments work their way out of my system and then go back and and endure it a little bit more um and it may be i i may be a bit harsh on it because again i don't i really don't like these kind of movies that are so heavy in tone um but the performances of the three leads are really really good and i'd say if you can see it on video it's definitely worth seeing All right, our next e-screen film for this week is Let the Bullets Fly. Um, Kevin, why don't you give us a quick rundown of the story for this?
1: Okay, yeah, um, Let the Bullets Fly, as I as I mentioned earlier, is one of my favorite e-screen films of the year. Um, it's the fourth film from uh, actor-director Zhang Wen, who did um, In the Heat of the Sun, um, Devil on the Doorstep, and The Sun Also Rises. This is easily his most commercial film. Um, both, I guess, in, in box office and in budget. Um, this time, he adapts a novel and is kind of a western, uh, the good, the bad, the weird kind of story. Um, starring Zhang Wen himself uh, as the good, uh, Chao Wen Fat as uh, the bad, and uh, Ge yo who... It's also, if you're the one too, which we'll talk about, I think, later on in, in a later episode, um, as the weird. Um, the story is kind of convoluted. Uh, I wouldn't say convoluted, sorry, complicated. So uh, I'll just kind of give a simplified version. Very simple. Um, Goyo plays um, a governor. The year is 1920. The, the government is in chaos, and, and people can buy government posts kind of um, with money. So Goyo has bought Who's been doing this for years Has bought another governor post At a, um, uh, at, a as, at a place called Goosetown And uh, as he's on the way in the train With his wife and his uh, Counselor he's uh, attacked By a group of bandits uh, Led by Zhang Wen um, And so With the um, everyone else dead but him and his wife played by Corinne Lao uh, goyo tells the bandit that he is actually only the counselor and he's heading to goose town um, to to take over the post so the John Wen character says okay fine I'll, I'll take over as the uh, governor um, to to make some money so that together they they march into goose town where Charon fat plays playing Juan is he's kind of the bully of the town he's um, he's a gangster he's not really a governor but he's, he is uh, in fact, de facto I guess um mayor uh the owner of the city so the the rest of the film is about how Jiang um the the bandit um, fights Charan fat the uh, the the gangster leader, and with Goyo in the middle because um, i don't want to review too much about the film later on, so i don't want to talk about what drives the entire conflict, but that's essentially the most of the film um. It's easily the most entertaining Chinese commercial film uh, of 2010. Um, I've seen a few Chinese commercial films, and I and I dare I say I highlight the word commercial because I picked uh, Part Together as a as a better film, but uh, commercial film wise, this really is the most entertaining. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, as one can expect, John Wen is an actor. He he was originally an actor. He does actor turn director, so obviously he's good. Zhang Fat is great. Uh, doing his kind of over-the-top villain thing. And Goyo is also great doing the, the comedic, kind of a comic relief, uh, kind of a coward uh, character who who's kind of backstabbing everyone. Um, and they're good individually, but they're even better uh, when they're together on screen. There's a, a scene, I think half an hour in, a 10-minute scene where they're, it's just the freedom talking and it's easily really the best scene, I think, in that first half of the film. Um as I mentioned, since the best part best scene of the film is the free talking, then one can expect that dialogue would fly really quickly between the three. Um I think the the note I wrote here is that the dialogue flies even faster than the bullets. Um there's a lot of banter going on. Um almost seems kind of like the Aaron Sorkin type where everyone has kind of a witty response to everything and they go back back and forth really quickly. So it might be really hard to get for a non-Mandarin audience um I even I couldn't pick up everything the first time I watched it uh meanwhile my girlfriend who, who speaks Mandarin was sitting next to me and, and she's just eating everything up uh and I'm just kind of pick. I'm just kind of catching up most of the time and it's really fun when you get them and yeah that's really the best part of the film um it's really smartly written both in terms of dialogue and the plot uh, there's a lot of kind of back and forth, the, the backstabbings and, and what each side brings out to elevate, escalate the game. And it's just really fun to see what what the next, next escalation would be. Um, but I, I think um, what my party, I guess the people watched it with some, one or two of them had kind of criticized it that the film was kind of cartoonish. And I don't know why I accepted it so easily. I guess because I knew what kind of director John Wen was I guess I could ex- and and the fact that it kind of started off as a comedy and and just kind of if you watch the entire film as a comedy it will make the cartoonish stuff uh, a lot more easy to accept so even in my review uh the one that I wrote for the blog I said this really is a comedy more than an action film more so than a than a western film so we expect a comedy I think uh it will make really over the top cartoonish stuff a lot easier to accept, and it's much easier to get along with the get get on with the ride if you um play along as a comedy, even though the comedy is really dark and at points really violent um it never really is supposed to be taken seriously um even though again it's really bloody um so it really worked much better as a comedy than an action film, even though you know the title is you know let the bullets fly. Um it what I like the most about it, I guess, is that John Wen you couldn't say that you can't say Zhang is a commercial director, but he's really made a movie that's that can really balance the two. Um the kind of more I guess how do I say it doesn't really pander to a commercial audience, it doesn't play anything easier, it doesn't play anything more obvious for a commercial audience to get, but it never really alienates them with It has a really surreal, strange sense of humor, but in the same way, it's still really funny. So that's why I kind of like how it balances the two together. And the most brilliant part is that it... it it really opens itself to a lot of interpretations, uh, political interpretations uh, specifically. Um, you could say it's 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 pro-socialism at the same time. Uh, you could say it's anti-socialism. You could say it's pro-Chinese people. You could say it's anti-Chinese people. It, it has many different ways to interpret it, and I can tell you that Zhang Wu would never openly admit to any of them. Um, obviously, he's not going to admit to the, the, the critical... the the parts that are critical to China and obviously he's not going to admit to to it being uh, China friendly either and that's how brilliant it is you can it depends on your politics and you can read it any way you want but it does open itself up for a lot of interpretations Um, Paul uh, what did you think about the film did you like it as much as I did
0: yeah I I really enjoyed it Um, but that being said I'm going to pick it apart now uh, because there were some there were some things that I did have some problems with. Um, First, it takes place in, you know, 1920s uh, China, which is the sort of the warlord period, even though the nationalists were in control. um, There were a lot of areas that were under control, these regional warlords, and this is like a period which is attributed somewhat to the Old West of the U.S., and so I think the setting was perfect. Um, Like you said, the action was, you know, fast and furious, as was the dialogue, and I felt that in the first half, it worked really well. Um, towards the end of the film, I, it, things did start to drag a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but the first thing I noticed, right from the bat, was... and I Okay, I understand that Zhang Wen did The Sun Also Rises, but why did he have to use the same theme? He, he ripped the Joe Hisashi theme from The Sun Also Rises, and he opened this film with that. I mean... It just it, it immediately threw me off. I'm like, wait a minute, why why, why am I hearing this? It's it's that's a different movie. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if he was just trying if he really liked the theme or if he. I mean, it, it does kind of fit, but at the same time, it's not. It wasn't created for that movie. Um, it'd be kind of like taking the Star Wars theme and putting it in front of a Star Trek movie or something. <laughs> I don't know. So you know the the I really like the action in the beginning. It was cartoonish, especially that that, that first sequence, um, which kind of, there, there's an incident with a train, a train robbery, basically, which the train ends up defying physics. It's funny, and it's cartoonish, mm-hmm. but then later, it, some of the darkness, it, it just makes you question a lot what you're watching, and as I watched it, I started thinking to myself, I'm getting the same feeling that I got when I watched Running on Karma for the first mm-hmm. time, because Running on Karma it did the same thing. It kept switching genres at different points in the film, making me question it. You know, what am I? What exactly am I watching? And at first, I didn't like it. And then I, you know, today, I, Running on Karma is one of my favorite Hong Kong films because I think it was so different in what it was trying to do. <coughs> Excuse me. And I and I get that same sense here. um But it, I think for a Western audience this film is going to be confusing in places because things are going by so fast. And I think you're right. A lot of what's being said in Mandarin is not translating well uh, into the subtitles. There's things going on that's just going to be missed. Um, the one thing that I will say, though, is, I don't know, I was expecting better gun battles. <laughs> you know, maybe because Chow Yun-Fat's here, I was just expecting a lot of, like, John Woo-style gunplay. You don't really get that here, which is fine because I think, you know, a lot more interesting are the encounters between the leads, especially um Ge Yo, who I thought was just, he he's great in everything, but he was really good here. I i was very, I was always more interested in what, what he was going to be doing next more so than the others. Chao Yun-Fat was good. Um, you know, he's playing Huang, this sort of village boss triad guy. Um he fits well he also has a a double at one point and the double was just you know kind of his uh moron character uh if you've ever seen films like uh the greatest lover um or some of the things where he's playing like a kind of a idiot type character and he he, he, he gets a little bit of both in there <clears throat> um but yeah, I you know that this is all about the three characters. If you like these three actors, these three characters, they're great on screen together. They have some really good chemistry, um, and that's what really kept me in you know, engaged in the film. I was really surprised with the ending. Really, really surprised, because I'm sitting there going, "This is a this is a China film. I know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, I know that this has got to play out only one way because these characters are." Certain characters and I don't want to give spoilers, but it, it kind of didn't. And then, but then I thought about it and I was like, wait a minute. And it's like you said, you can read this film in so many different ways, and you'll probably never be able to nail it down, right? Mm-hmm. Because after I re- realized, I'm like, wait a minute, you know, they're talking about things like Robin Hood and, and all these other illusions, and this is why they could get away with it, right? This is why they could do what they did, this is why they could. Uh, end the film the way they did. Um, So I was very surprised. But it works. Um, I think the last action sequence kind of dragged a little bit. Um, I I kept, there were a couple of times where I was like, okay, all right, I I understand, but get on with it, you know. Um, But, you know, it was great. I really enjoyed it. This is, I'd say, you know, this is definitely a see it. Um, If it's in a cinema on a big screen, you got to see it.
1: Definitely see it, see it, yeah, see it.
0: Let's take a quick jump over to the other side of the pond and talk about some West Screen films for this week. Um, two films up this week. The first, another film from last year, um, played, I guess, back in November in the States, but it didn't get to Hong Kong until December. Um, I got to see it while I was in the States. I had, a, I had to search around for a theater that was still playing it. I think it's still playing here in Hong Kong, though, at as, as the time of this recording. That is the film... Megamind, uh, the latest animated feature from DreamWorks, starring the voice talents of people like Will Ferrell, um, David Cross, and Brad Pitt. Now, you haven't seen this, Kevin.
1: No, I haven't. I, I, do, I am interested in it, though, but yeah. I just
0: couldn't find the time to see it. It didn't really get a lot of uh, a lot of buzz in the States and, and on the web. Um, I, I went and looked up the figures. It did fairly well. Um, you know, it got some... Fairly good praise um, from critics in certain circles. Um, but a lot of people felt that it was kind of rehashing things that had been done before. And, and, and in a sense, they're right. Um, but it's a really good premise. It basically is the story of what if you had a supervillain and, you know, his arch rival, a, a big superhero kind of Superman-like character, what if the supervillain's plan was suddenly victorious and he won? And he defeated the superhero, and he took over the city. You know, um, what would what would that be like? Um, and so the plot line, in some ways, has some similarities to Despicable Me because it, the, you know, the the central protagonist here is actually an antagonistic style character, an anti antihero, um, but it's a bit more adult, a bit darker than Despicable Me. The humor is a little bit more adult in places. Um, But I gotta say, I'm really getting pleased with DreamWorks animations. Um, You know, we had How to Train Your Dragon earlier in the year, which I really loved. I know everybody was all about Toy Story last year. I liked Toy Story 3, um, but I saw a lot of redundancy in that. I mean, it was a great way to end the series, but a lot of the things we talked about before, a lot of what was going on in Toy Story three, I felt was kind of the same stuff we saw in Toy Story one and in Toy Story two. I'm really happy with some of the things that DreamWorks is, some of the combinations I would say that DreamWorks is doing. I mean, their style is definitely not quite at the Pixar standard, but I love animation, and you know they're putting out sometimes two animations a year um, to Pixar's one. Uh, so I'm I'm happy the competitions there, and then you've got you know Universal doing stuff now. So I'm happy to see more and more of this content coming out. Um, Will Ferrell, David Cross, very good as voice, voice actors. As I said, I'm a I'm a pretty big Will Ferrell fan, um, despite my uh, hatred for the other guys, as I mentioned earlier. Um, David Cross is a a, a character called Minion, uh, and unfortunately his character is kind of a little bit ugly and he's just overshadowed by the minions of despicable me which were just too cute to uh, pass up on this film has a whole lot of superman references though um and in fact megamind as a character his life is sort of a parallel of superman's life um and, and in uh in the case here, is not called superman it's Metro Man, the defender of metro city um as his rival, uh, who's voiced by Brad Pitt, but the idea here is that it's just, there are a lot of references of the Superman genre, uh, the old comic books, the movies, the latest movie, and that may make it a little bit too much of a niche film uh, for general audiences, and I think that's why some people probably might not have enjoyed it as much. If you're somebody who's up on Superman lore, um, I think you'll really enjoy this film, though. Um, there's really a lot of good insider jokes into it. Um, as I said, Will Ferrell, I think, does a great voice here. Um, he's not simply being, you know, the the um, Ron Burgundy character or the typical Will Ferrell character. He actually has a, a very distinctive character as Megamind here um, who becomes likable. He becomes, you know, anti-hero, becomes a hero at a point. And basically the plot is he defeats his nemesis, and he finds himself in control of the city, and then he feels lost. You know, he's like, oh, he he no longer has somebody to go up against, and and he feels his life has no meaning. So he decides he's going to make a new hero um, to be his, you know, his rival. Um, And he creates a character who's voiced by Jonah Hill, and that character ends up being even worse than he is as a villain. He doesn't want to be a hero. He just wants sort of his own way and he's very selfish and he ends up having to uh, make a choice of what to do with this new creation of his. Um, so it's a really interesting story. I think it, it you know, it worked really well. I'm kind of disappointed that it didn't do better, but I think it's in part because it's very much for a niche audience. Um, but yeah, I'd say definitely, this was definitely a see it for me um, and I look forward to... Watching it again on video. All right, our next West Screen film for this week, uh, the Sofia Coppola film called *Somewhere*. Now, I haven't seen this film, so Kevin, the ball's in your court.
1: Yeah, um, this film doesn't open in Hong Kong until January twenty seventh, but um, I went and watched one of the preview screenings that um the distributor is putting on. Uh, it's opening up to general audiences here, so um. I went and watched the film Um, I like Sofia Coppola Um, As a filmmaker I've seen all three of her films um, Especially Lost in Translation um, Possibly due to personal reasons I guess Because uh, uh, Japan I guess uh, That's the deal Um, Anyway this is her fourth film This is kind of Her return to a more Minimalist form of filmmaking After the kind of pop Popish uh, disappointment to many. That was uh, Marie Antoinette. Uh, I don't remember much about that movie anymore. Uh, so I guess I didn't really like it or really hate it. Um, this is a very minimalist. This very much like Lost in Translation, but uh, in Hollywood. Um, it follows uh, Stephen Dorff uh, from Blade. Uh, this villain. Uh, he's he plays a Hollywood star. Um, here, who Who's staying in uh, LA um, In a luxury hotel Named the the um, Chateau Marmont uh, That's actually a real hotel Real luxury hotel where many stars stay at uh, Anyway he, he plays a fictional movie star Named Johnny Marco who's staying at the hotel uh, Kind of working on his Doing extra work on his latest movie uh, Doing promotion And also doing some post production work And other things like that And just kind of hanging out in the hotel Um uh, drinking and sleeping with a woman and, and kind of generally lost, uh, kind of leading this meaningless life um, until his daughter, uh, Cleo, played by Elle Fanning, that's Dakota's little sister, um, is has to stay with her father because uh, her, her mother has ran off to go, quote-unquote, find herself. So um, the middle, I guess the core of the film is about the two of them spending time together and him re-examining his life Due to this 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 time their time together, um, and that's pretty much all I can say about the plot because the film again is is has a really thin script, kind of like Lost in Translation. Um, it's very minimalist, and uh, I would say it's kind of like Lost in Translation, but the translation part It's very much about people being lost in their lives. But the problem with it, with somewhere is that it doesn't have the interesting cultural shock stuff that. Made lost in translations of the original film. Here, it just feels like kind of this um, pampered Hollywood star, uh, kind of indulging in in luxury and 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 um. There's very little you can care about this Johnny Marco character until his daughter shows up. And that's really the most interesting part of the film because they do they do things together that will report um, the way they spend time together and, and seeing this Johnny Marco kind of become a likable character again. That's really interesting, but that only really takes up the middle. Um, other than that, it's, again, just kind of a lot of shots of him just kind of hanging around, smoking, drinking, uh, seducing women, and... Uh, I, I think it's a fine, it's fine film. I would never say I can't say that it's a bad film. Uh, I think Sofia Coppola has this, this character, two character uh, relationship kind of type movies. I think she has it down, uh, especially in the art house sense, um, in art house filmmaking sense. I think she has it quite down, quite well. But uh, she even goes even more minimalist than she did in Lost in Translation. Uh, the stuff with Johnny Marco just kind of hanging out in Hollywood doesn't really, um, lead too much. Uh, it doesn't really interest anyone because it's about this, again, it's about this pampered Hollywood star who's living this pampered life and he feels, you know, utterly crushed and it feels meaningless. And, uh, I guess us in the working class would be like, you're driving, uh, you're driving a luxury car, you're living in a luxury hotel. What are you complaining about? Um, so it might bore a lot of people. Um, I wasn't as bored as I thought I would be, um, because I guess I was okay with uh, the way Coppola kind of depicts this this life. Um, it's it's strictly art house. Um, so the whole see it see it TVA system really depends on your tolerance for these kind of art house films. If you like Sofia Coppola, I would say see it just to complete, I guess, her filmography. Uh, if you like art house films, I would also say see it. Um, because it is it does work on certain level at certain points. But if you're not of these two dispositions, I would say TV it. Uh, even if you can't stand minimalist movies like this, uh, then I would even say skip it.
0: Mm. What about uh, Ellie Fanning? Is she got the uh, same acting chops as
1: her sister? No, she's, she's quite good, quite natural in the film. Um, I quite liked her. I wouldn't say... she. She doesn't, because the film doesn't require to be as dramatic as Dakota usually is in her best roles. Um, so, so there's not really much of a comparison. But yeah, she's a quite natural actress here.
0: Hmm. What about um, your, your comments on the main character? It it seems like because when I watch the trailer, you know, you get this sense that it's about a star who's bored, but. It seems to me that, like you were saying, it would be very difficult for a general audience to relate to him, so in some ways it seems like this is sort of an inside joke or an inside, you know an, an insider's perspective about you know maybe people that she knows or, or grew up knowing who don't seem to have an appreciation of the lifestyle and the type of work that they get to do.
1: I, I think part of it. I'm not sure where I read it, but I think part of it is based on her, her observations on other stars, or if not her own father. And she has been in, I guess, an in industry for decades—literally decades. I mean, she was a she was a baby in *The Godfather*, right? I think. Yeah. So she's literally been in the film industry for decades, all her life. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these are based on her own personal uh, observations and. For those who are interested in seeing, I guess, a star's life, at literally one point, Benicio Del Toro has a cameo as himself in the Chateau Marmont, just kind of showing up and hanging out. And um, a review I read by Roger Ebert says, yeah, you wouldn't be surprised if Benicio Del Toro really was just living at the hotel when they're shooting the movie and just decided to do a cameo. Mm. Um, and it does feel real in that perspective. But again, it really depends on how much, how interested you are at these kind of, Films because again it, it is lost in translation of the translation. So it, it loses that cultural shock, that that interesting point to the film.
0: You're listening to the East Screen West Screen Podcast. Visit concast.com for more. All right, well, I think that's going to wrap up our film discussion for this episode. Uh, Comments. We got a comment last time from Matt S. talking about Tron Legacy, and he says, for him, it's a challenge to nail down opinions on films like Tron Legacy or um, Indiana Jones, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which was sort of another film that, um, was very much rooted in the fan community that a lot of people had sort of nerd rage about um, once it came out because they felt it, you know, kind of moved away from the tone or the feel of the originals. Um, he says, the originals are tied up in a warm glow of nostalgia. Yeah, yeah I would agree with that. Um, mm-hmm. They're a huge influence during formative years. Um and so, yeah, it can and tend to be a bit of a letdown. Um, he says he felt there was just not a lot to the movie. And, yeah, I think that pretty much mirrors some of uh, my feelings on it. <coughs> um, but he says, my initial impression was that I enjoyed it more than you know, Indy 4. Um, he says, my nephew is around the age I was. When the original came out, he was excited to see it. And borrowed my copy of the first film to watch beforehand. He liked them both. Now he can watch Tron whenever he wants on his iPod Touch. Um, and he says it would have been nice if Tron would have reflected some of those advances, some of the things we talked about, um, where you know technology and the way we interact has gotten to a point, and that just you know didn't seem to be reflected in the film at all. Um, but yeah, his, uh, I, I agree with a lot of what uh, he says there, especially this sense of, you know, we've got these old films, they're classics to us, and somebody comes along and changes a few things, and we all become, you know, nerd hulks, and like, oh, you messed up our movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
1: I did like Indie 4 mode and Tron Legacy Did you?
0: I yeah. i didn't have as much of a problem with Indie 4 as a lot of my friends did, mm-hmm. Um. You know the the nuking the fridge thing though that was kind of hard to take.
1: In the third film, they land a plane or from the Hindenburg. Yeah, and I know, I know, thing. and I you know I know that
0: on forums people were saying, oh, you know, well Indy could survive a nuclear blast because he drunk he had taken a drink from, you know, the Holy Grail, so therefore he's <laughs> like part immortal. And yeah, I I read all the excuses and everything is. I'm sorry, but I still have a hard time buying that a, a fridge is going to survive a nuclear
1: blast. Raider lost Ark, They 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 flew <laughs> off a plane on a on a, on a raft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All
0: right. Uh, so thanks to Matt S for his comments. Um, also, I want to throw out a quick regards to a friend of the show and a friend of ours personally here in Hong Kong. Uh, that is Hong Kong Dave, as he goes by on the forums. Going through a bit of a rough patch right now. I won't get into details about that, um, but just want to let him know that our thoughts are with him. So that's going to wrap things up for this episode. As always, you can visit us over at the website, that is www.congcast.com, or you can drop us a message over on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you there, Um, or drop us a a five-star review. That would be great as well. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter, uh you can find me on twitter.com slash foxlore, and you can find Mr. Ma at the same address. Just change it to twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. Um you can also find Mr. Ma's writings out there on the web. Where can they find you, sir? Uh
1: you can read my blog over at lovehkfilm.com. I am the Golden Rock. Um I do plan to update again sometime this century. Um and I also sometimes write movie reviews on both loveishkinfilm dot com and on w dot dot com dot Uh upcoming reviews on Love Isha Film should be uh the road less travel. Uh I am hoping to write Norwegian Wood and Confessions. Um those are a long time coming, so I hope to get to those. Um and also you can find me at the uh, Yes Asia Yum Chat section. Sometimes I do write under the name Rockman. Yeah.
0: All right. I saw your tweet to earlier today too, you're saying something about
1: how you are missing school life. Ah, uh, yes, thanks to Mr. Spamberg. A yeah. uh, little a little shout out to Mr. Spamberg, um him and his uh and uh, a fellow schoolmate they have started um Screening club at, at Hong Kong Baptist University every Wednesday night. They will be doing screenings at the film club titled Screening Under the Influence. I will be acting as a title consultant from time to time and we'll be screening uh, with a nice HD projector and a Blu ray player uh, some good contemporary classics on Blu ray. So that's a week weekly uh wednesday nights uh at hong kong baptist university you can talk to me uh for a little more details um but yeah it would be great if you guys in hong kong would show up
0: all right sounds good and if you're coming through hong kong and you want more details just uh shoot us an email over at the show that email is Screen at gmail.com so i think that's gonna wrap things up final thoughts mr ma um no just can't wait for new new year yeah uh, gonna yeah. get a, a lot of red packets yeah, a couple of your uh, movie buddies are now married, meaning we have to give out money.
1: <laughs> I'll see you guys at the movies. More <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, that's gonna do it for us. Uh, we'll see you next time on episode fifty three. We'll be talking about if you are the one too and Andy Lau's latest Shaolin. <laughs> Boom. can't wait. So as always, we will wish you good viewing and we'll see you next time.